We're going to study Torah, and uh, tonight our Torah discussion is all centered around the holiday of Yom Kippur, also known as the Day of Atonement. Okay, so um, the energy of the week. Let's, uh, let's backtrack for a little bit. Um, this time of year is known as Aseret Yemei Shuvah, the 10 days of repentance. Why is it 10 days of repentance? Well, you have Rosh Hashanah is day one of Tishrei and day two. Days one and two is, is Rosh Hashanah. The tenth day is Yom Kippur. So essentially, from day one, which is the first day of Rosh Hashanah, through the tenth day, it's all the ten days of repentance. Essentially, the Talmud says that there are, that the, this, the, there are ten days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which there aren't. There's really seven days between the two. It's bookended with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Nonetheless, the energy is the same, and that is it's all days of tshuva, all days of repentance. Tonight, we're going to take a deep dive into the theme of Yom Kippur and really understand what is the day about? What is atonement really about? What does it mean? What does it mean for our relationships? And also, at the same time, we're going to address another issue, which is, what's the difference between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? There's a lot of prayers that are duplicated between the two days. Are they kind of the same? Are they different? If they're different, in what distinguishes one from the other? All of this and more we will get to in tonight's session. All right, so let me check in. You guys ready? Everybody ready for this? All right, beautiful. Um, hey, we got the little girl. How's it going? Nice. All right, you got the whole family. I love that. I love that. Okay, so let's jump in. By the way, we need to acknowledge we have with us a, we have a multi, what am I going to say, multinational? It's not the right word. But we have a very um, multi-state, interstate. National. Oh, national. Oh, good, national. That works. We have a very national crowd. We have uh, folks joining live. We have folks joining in Atlanta, around Atlanta. We have Florida representing. We have Vegas representing. So... We're just, uh, we're, we're really enjoying this. Okay, um, we're going to begin by exploring the history of Yom Kippur. Before we, get, before we do a deep dive into the message, the meaning of Yom Kippur and the, the timeless messages vis-a-vis -vis our relations, before we get into all of that stuff, let's first do a basic explanation exposition by, uh, by looking at what is the source and the origins of the holiday, where does it come from in the Bible, in the Torah, and what is the historical context. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna share my screen. If you have a booklet, open it up, please, too. Or if you have a book, you can open it up to page number 174. And here is the history of Yom Kippur. By the way, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur, it's all the same thing, depending on where you put the emphasis on which, on the syllable. <laughs> there you go. Okay. Um, let's jump in. I'm going to share my screen because, as you know by now, sharing is definitely caring. History of Yom Kippur. Let's make this... Oh, we can close that book. That was for this morning. History of Yom Kippur, text number one. I'm going to read this from Leviticus. Okay, let's get this party started. Um, by jumping right in. And God spoke to Moses saying, But on the tenth of the seventh month, 
Hold on. On the 10th of the seventh month, it is a day of atonement. You might be familiar with that phrase. This is where it comes from. The 10th of the seventh month. By the way, this is the seventh month. It's the first in the calendar, Tishrei. But it's considered in biblical terminology, Tishrei is considered to be the seventh month. The first month being the month of, uh, of Nisan, the month of the Exodus. Okay. So the 10th of the seventh month, we have with us... The day of, hold on one second. Let me just make sure we have a nice clean background. All right, I'm muting everybody, but just feel free to jump in if you want to share something. Okay, so on the 10th of the seventh month, Day of Atonement, it shall be a holy occasion for you. You shall afflict yourselves and you shall offer up a fire offering to, uh, one second, fire offering to God. Okay, and, and we're going to analyze this, this, uh, these verses in a moment, but let's just go through them first. You shall not perform any work on that very day, for it is a day of atonement for you to gain atonement before the Lord, your God. Okay, so here we have the Torah's intro introduction to the idea of Yom Kippur, Yom, Yom HaKippurim, the day of atonement. And the Torah says, on the, when is it? Number one, let's get, let's get our facts straight. When is Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur? It is the 10th day of the seventh month. In other words, the 10th day of Tishrei. This year, it falls out next Wednesday night into Thursday. It's a 25 slash 26 hour day. Next, we know that it's, we know when it is. Now, what, it, what, what is it? Or, yeah, what is it? It's a day of atonement. Day of atonement. Okay, that makes sense. We have things, we have all have things to atone for. It's a day in which we atone. Next, it's a holy occasion. Holy occasion means it's a Mikra Kodesh. Mikra Kodesh is a day of, um, it's like a holiday. Holiday means typically abstention from work as the Torah continues to, to, to delineate. It's a day in which we focus on the uniqueness and the energy, the holiness of that day. Um, it says you shall afflict yourselves. Oh, that's a new topic. That's a new theme, afflict yourselves. Typically that's not something that we do on a holiday. Typically on a holiday we enjoy ourselves. It's a day of oneg, a day of joy and pleasure. It's a day to celebrate and to be happy. Here, it doesn't talk about happiness. It doesn't talk about celebration. It does not talk about um, the, the, the theme of joy or the theme of, of, of pleasure. It talks about affliction. What is affliction? As you may know, there are five definitions of affliction that our sages attribute to Yom, Yom Kippur. There are five things, therefore, that we abstain from on Yom Kippur as a sign or as a demonstration or as uh, an observance of the affliction. Number one, first and foremost, we do not eat or drink. Number two, we do not wear leather shoes. Leather shoes was considered to be a, um, a bit of, a, of a, something indulgent and, and luxurious. So no leather shoes. Again, it's about affliction. It doesn't mean, by the way, that you need to go barefoot. It doesn't mean that you can't wear comfortable shoes that aren't leather. Knock yourself out. It could be comfortable. By the way, even leather today, huh? Crocs, yeah. Why not? Crocs, Crocs are comfortable. Um, you know, there's a, the, 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 the movement nowadays is anti-leather anyway, right? It's like, you know, it's all about synthetic leather or whatever they're calling it nowadays. So, um, sure, not a problem. You don't, it doesn't have to be painful, literally painful. You don't have to wear like, like wood blocks on your feet. You don't, doesn't, you don't have to suffer on your, on, on your feet. It's just no leather. That's, that's the definition of, of affliction. The second definition, so we have no food or drink, no leather, no anointing oneself with oils or perfumes. Again, that's something that's, 
about luxury and beauty and whatever. So that's, as a sign of affliction, we don't do that. We also don't shower or bathe, again, luxury, etc. Um, also no um, intimacy of any kind. And I think that might be it. Did we get five or we got four? Let's go through it again. We got five? All right, so to run through those quickly, no, no food or drink, no leather shoes, no anointing with oils or perfumes, no bathing, washing, showering, etc., and no intimate actions, no intimate uh, experiences. Okay, so that is the restriction for the restrictions for the day of Yom Kippur, and that's um, included in the statement of the Torah, day of affliction, or you shall afflict yourselves in this day. Um, it also says you shouldn't do any work, but we get the gist. We get the gist. It's a special day. It's a holiday. It's a unique celebration, a unique form of, 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 of holiday in which there's affliction involved, which is not typical, typical of the usual Jewish holidays. So it's a unique thing, and we know that thematically it is the Day of Atonement. The question is, why is it the Day of Atonement? So if I ask you guys, why is it a Day of Atonement? What happened on that day in history that it became the Day of Atonement? We know the Torah says, but what happened in history? Unmute yourself if you know. Or, uh, or chime in, in person. What, uh, what happens on Yom Kippur? What happened on Yom Kippur that it's a Day of Atonement, historically? Somebody jump in on this. What happened? Don't be shy. It's a safe space. We were um, forgiven for the sin of the golden calf. Fred's got it. Fred's got it. We were forgiven for the sin of the golden calf. Now, it's a complicated story. Moses goes up in the mountain after the revelation at Sinai for 40 days, 40 nights. He comes back down. Golden calf. They were dancing the horror around the golden calf. Hava. Na calf. Hava. I'm making up the songs. Okay, so they're dancing around the calf. And Moses breaks the tablets. Oh, that was the first 40 days. Moses goes up the mountain for another 40 days, 40 nights. Comes back down and says, good news is, I've secured your basic forgiveness in the sense that God is not going to destroy you as a people. But to get beyond that, I need to go back up. Moses goes back up another 40 days, the final set of 40 days. 120 days after he first went up, he gets full forgiveness from God, which is then represented by the second set of tablets. Because, you know, without that second set of tablets, things were forgiven, but not for, not, maybe they were forgiven, but not forgotten. But with the second set of tablets, all is good, and that's where it stands. And that day that Moses comes down, the tablets, after 120 days, of up and down and up and down and up and down. He comes back down. God says, I've forgiven 100%. We're all good. It's all cool. That day is Yom Kippur, Yom HaKippurim. That becomes the Day of Atonement for all time. It's a special day. Now, you know, chicken and egg. Is it because of what, because God granted forgiveness that day that it became the Day of Atonement? Or is there something about that day that is synonymous, the energy of the day, you know, breathes and, and moves with atonement? And that's why that happened on that day. You know, that's already a mystical conversation. It seems like the energy of that day itself is intertwined and interwoven with the fabric, with the, with the notion of, of, of atonement. Nonetheless, this becomes the Day of Atonement, and we observe it every single day. That is our Day of Atonement as well. That is Mark, Yom Kippur. Yes, yes, Mark. But I thought a plague afflicted the Jews who uh, committed the sin of the golden calf, and the Levim killed those who, who committed that sin. Good, good. You're talking about plagues? That was for Egypt. I'm kidding. Yes, you are correct. All right, yes, there, were, there was a plague 
that hit those that were directly involved with the sin of the golden calf, the, the, the initiators, and etc., and the, Lev, the, the Levites also were involved in some sort of consequence uh, making for those that participated in the sin of the golden calf. But you have to understand that in addition to those who were, who were punished directly, there were many that were involved in other ways in that experience who were forgiven. So yes, there was punishment and, 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 and strong punishment that was meted out to certain individuals and even a decent, a, 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 a pretty big number, but not to everyone. And so there was forgiveness. Remember, if you recall from the story in the book of Exodus, God says to Moses right away, I'm going to destroy the Jewish people and I'm going to start again with you. That was the initial plan. The plan was, that's it. We're done here and uh, I'm going to start again. Just, you know, you know, when you have a first draft of something, you know, you big, big crumple it up. Kid. Yeah, just toss it and start again. Back to the drawing board. And so Moses secures forgiveness. The Jewish people will not be destroyed in totality. Yes, there were some individuals that, uh, that were punished, but nonetheless, in totality, the Jews survived. So this day becomes, I think we had a Torah studies class on this, on the difference between the ones who passed away in the plague and the ones who the Levites killed. I think so. If not... It would have been a good class. Anyway, so here's the, here's the point. It's a day of atonement. Um, let's see this in Rashi. Text number two. I'm going to pull this up on the screen. Okay, let's do this together. Rashi right here. This is Rashi on the book of Deuteronomy, actually. The Torah portion of Devarim, 9.18. Here we go. After the sin of the golden calf, Moses ascended Mount Sinai on the 18th day of Tammuz. This was going to be his second ascent up the mountain. Remember, the first time he went up was to um, get the first tablets, came down and smashed them. He goes back up the second time after the sin on the 18th day of Tammuz. Forty days later, on the 29th of Av, God was reconciled with Israel. And God said to Moses, hew for yourself two tablets. Then there was the second set of tablets. He, Moses, remained there another 40 days. Consequently, there ended, uh, sorry, consequently, these ended on Yom Kippur. On that very day, the Holy One, blessed be He, was joyfully reconciled with Israel. And He said to Moses, I have forgiven according to your words. This is actually, um, I'm just going to cut in for a second. This is actually a, a, a prayer refrain that we recite on the holidays. Salachti kedvarecha, I have forgiven, God says, according to your words. In other words, based on your request, your request has been granted, I forgive. Therefore, Rashi says, Yom Kippur was designated as a day for pardon and forgiveness. And that becomes the energy of the day. It's a day of pardon, a day of forgiveness, or as we know it, a day of atonement. Good. That's literally the name. Yom HaKippurim. Yom Kapara is the day of atonement. Yom HaKippurim, the day of atonement. Beautiful. So now we're going to dive into a question that's going to basically um, uh, comprise the main conversation of our class. And the core question is this. I'm going to lay out the question very simply, and then we're going to um, elaborate on it. The simple question is, how, sorry, how is Yom Kippur unique and distinct from Rosh Hashanah? What do I mean? If you're telling me that, that Yom Kippur is all about tshuva, repentance, and return, and atonement, and forgiveness, and all that stuff, isn't that also Rosh Hashanah? Right? Rosh Hashanah also seems to be thematically the, the notion of 
tshuva, repentance, and atonement, and forgiveness, and cleaning the slate, and starting again, it seems to share the same theme. It seems very similar. And we're going to find parallels on many different levels. We're going to talk about, uh, just pre, we're going to have three different areas of conversation, each one about Rosh Hashanah, each one seems to be very similar to what we're talking about as far as the theme of Yom, Yom Kippur. In other words, how, how is Yom Kippur thematically different enough from Rosh Hashanah that it warrants its own unique name, its own unique day, its own unique holiday? It seems to be the same theme. Now, the truth is, you and I might kind of just combine them together into one big challenge and say, yeah, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Days of Awe, High Holidays, they're all, they're all one thing. But not so fast. Rosh Hashanah is Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur is Yom Kippur. We have different, we have different days, different energies. So the, the goal of this class is to really go deep and dig into the distinctions the fine distinctions between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And in the process, we're going to learn about how to repair our own relationships, whether it's a relationship with God, relationship with our fellow human being, or our relationship with ourselves. And I, I, I can tell you this, I believe that the takeaways today are going to be transformative, life transformative. So stay with me because it's going to get extremely powerful and relevant. All right. But first, we need to see how we need to establish the question. The question is going to be, the question is, Rosh Hashanah seems to share the same theme as Yom Kippur. It seems to be one big challenge. Why do I say that? On three levels. We're going to look at shofar, the, the midst of the day which is blowing the shofar. We're going to look at pray, the prayer liturgy on Rosh Hashanah. And we're going to look at the Tashluch ceremony. All three speak to the idea of Rosh Hashanah being a day of tshuva and atonement and forgiveness, etc. Let's start with shofar. The shofar, why do we sound the shofar in Rosh Hashanah? So many different reasons and different symbolisms and all that stuff. But we have the basic idea as expressed by Rambam, Maimonides. And so let's jump into this. Um, let's, ask, let's ask someone to read online. Let's get Adina Malka. Are you up to reading? Yes. All right. Adina Malka, please unmute. And don't worry, I'm going to share my screen with you. I'm not, I'm not uh, asking you to somehow be prophetic here. On this, okay. Text number three. Oh, I see that. Nice. You can't see the bottom. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Perfect. Yeah, don't worry. I'm gonna get to the. Uh, I'm gonna get to the English text. Oh, okay. But I just want to show you, show everybody where it's from. My man is Torah laws of tshuva, three four. This is text number three, and this is Rambam. Okay, Adina Malka, please jump in. Even though the sounding of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah is a scriptural decree that needs no reason. It contains a hidden message. It is as if the chauffeur's call is saying, wake up, you sleepy ones, from your sleep, and you who slumber, arise. Inspect your deeds. Repent. Remember your creator. Those who forget the truth in the vanities of time and throughout the entire year devote their energies to vanity and emptiness, which will not benefit or save. Look to your souls. Improve your ways and your deeds and let every one of you abandon his evil path and thoughts. For these reasons, it is customary for all of Israel to give profusely to charity, perform many good deeds, and be occupied with the mitzvah of Moshe Shona until Yom Kippur to a greater extent than during the remainder of the year. Okay, thank you. So this is a powerful, powerful excerpt from Rambam, from Maimonides. 
in his Hilchot Teshuvah, the laws of Teshuvah, and he basically says, what's the reason for Shofar? Again, many reasons, the carnation, uh, Isaac, uh, the, the binding of Isaac and the ram. I, I don't want to get into the other reasons, but Maimonides says it's a wake-up call. And what's the wake-up call? Uru Yeshenim Mishinaschem. Right? Did I get that right? Hold on, let me look at the Hebrew. Yeah, Uru Yeshenim Mishinaschem. Wake up sleepy heads or sleepy ones from your sleep. In other words, it's a call to action. It's a call to wake up. And it's, and it's specifically for us who throughout the year get distracted because we all get distracted. We get caught up in this and that and the other. And as Rambam, my manis calls them, it's vanities. Vanities of time. Things that don't really mean anything. Things that are superficial. Things that are external. Things that are not that important. But we get caught up in them because, you know, life. So what happens on Rosh Hashanah is we have the shofar, and the shofar is a wake-up call. And what's the wake-up call? It's return to your true self. Return to your essence. Return to God. Return to your relationship with your purpose and your mission, your spirituality. You know what that sounds like to me? That sounds like a day of tshuva. That sounds like a day of repentance. That sounds like a day of return. So my question, therefore, is... What distinguishes Rosh Hashanah from Yom Kippur? Rosh Hashanah is a, Yom Kippur, we know, is a day of, of tshuva, a day of, of, of repentance and return. What well, sounds like Rosh Hashanah is also. Let's amplify the question by looking at the second area, which is the liturgy, right? I promised a liturgical conversation. Let's jump into the liturgy. Um, Donna Herbert, please read, if you will, text number four from the, from, from the Machser. And this is from the Unasana Tok of Prayer, which is one of the most solemn, moving, um, emotionally evocative prayers in the liturgy. This is one that's always filled with deep tears, and it's recited both on Rosh Hashanah and on Yom Kippur, which is going to lead us to the question, what is the distinction between these two great days? Take it away. Donna, please. On Rosh Hashanah, they are inscribed, and on the fast day of Yom Kippur, they are sealed. How many shall pass away and how many shall be born? Who shall live and who shall die? Who shall live out his allotted time and who shall depart before his time? Who shall perish by water and who by fire? Who by the sword and who by a beast? Who by hunger and who by thirst? Who by earthquake and who by pestilence? Who by strangulation and who by lapidation, stoning? Who shall be at rest and who shall wander? Who shall be tranquil and who shall be harassed? Who shall enjoy well-being and who shall suffer tribulation? Who shall be poor and who shall be rich? Who shall be humbled and who shall be exalted? But repentance, prayer, and charity avert the severity of the decree. Thank you. So what we see here is that in Rosh Hashanah we are inscribed, yes, Yom Kippur, we are sealed. I'm, instead of they, I mean the they is us. Right. It's they as being they human beings, but us because we're the human beings that we're talking about here. So Rosh Hashanah, we are inscribed in Yom Kippur, we are sealed. And, and, and what's the inscription and what's the sealing? It's about life and death and, and everything in between. And, what, and how does the prayer conclude? That repentance, prayer and charity avert the severity of the decree. Repentance, tshuva. So Rosh Hashanah is clearly, thematically, about tshuva about returning, about repentance, about getting back into where we need to be. So again, the question is, we're going to have a third part of this question also, but just to, just, I hope it's clear. The question is, what is the, what is the strong difference between Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, or Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? It seems like the same thing. 
Yom Kippur is the day of atonement, day of forgiveness. We, we do tshuva, we repent, we say sorry. Fine. And Rosh Hashanah, same thing. We, blow, we sound the shofar. Why do we sound the shofar? To remind us to do tshuva, to, to repent, to return. I don't know, repent is a, maybe has a weird word, but to return to Hashem. And, and, and the prayers we say were written and, and, and inscribed for a year of life or death or, or, or everything in between. And, and, what's, and, and what affects the decree? Repentance, prayer, and charity. And that's on Rosh Hashanah as well. We say this prayer both days of Rosh Hashanah. Take a look at the third point. This comes from the, uh, the tradition of Tashlich. So let me stop sharing for a moment and let's talk about Tashlich. So what's Tashlich? Tashlich, Tashlich is a beautiful Jewish custom that takes place on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Assuming the first day of Rosh Hashanah is on a weekday, if it's on Shabbat, you don't do Tashlich. You push it on to the next day. But Tashlich is where you go out to a body of water and you stand at the edge of the water. Our Chabad in town custom is we go to the gazebo at Piedmont Park. So we stand above the water. But you can stand at the edge of a body of water. That's nat- number one, it should be a natural body of water. Is Piedmont Park a natural body of water? Or was that artificially manufactured? It's not. No? Possibly not? Okay. All right, listen. It looks natural now. All right, it is what it is. The truth is, maybe it just needs to have fish. Maybe we're just going to lower the bar. Okay, as long as it has fish. Um, now, you might ask, well, what if I have an aquarium, like one of those little things, in my, uh, in my living room? Okay, I've never heard of that type of tashlich, but you never know. Has anyone ever heard of doing tashlich in your living room with your, uh, with your clownfish? Clownfish? Was that Finding Nemo? Yeah, Finding Tashlich. Huh? What does it say? Fish and water. Fish and water. Fish and water. I wonder if gefilte fish in the jar works. No, it probably has to be moving. Although, if you turn it... A moving body of water. A moving body. Okay. Yeah. I'm always moved by my gefilte fish. It's like so... The Chattahoochee River. (laughs) There you go. Chattahoochee. There you go. Yeah. Chattahoochee, Lake Lanier, etc. Good. So here's the deal. You go to a body of water that has fish. And why fish? Because fish, the, the eyes of fish are always open. You know fish don't have eyelids? Do you guys know this? Fish don't have eyelids? Yeah, it's a thing. So what does it symbolize? Eyes always open and no eye in hara, no evil eye. That's one of the symbolisms. So we ask God for a year with no evil eye. Um, my son asked me the other day, what do you call a fish with no eyes? Fish, fish, fish. You guys get that? A fish with no eyes? F-S-H, no I, F-S, I told you my son, this is a safe. Clearly he's your son. Yes, so two things, two things, two things. Yes, number one, clearly he's my son. Number two, how convenient of me to push that joke and say that my son, no, actually my son did tell me that joke. But I had, I'll tell you this, I had a lot of nachas, a lot, a lot of pride. So um, we go to the body of water and we say these prayers and we symbolically cast our sins into the water. Now, by raise of hand, who has participated in Tashuk in the past by raise of hand? All right. Yeah. So we have a lot of Tashuk participation. Some people end up feeding. You ever f- feed the fish? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You like give toss bread or challah or something, right? Feed the pets. 
Yeah, feed the ducks and people on par. Right, essentially we're giving them um, sin-tainted bread. I'm joking, I'm joking. It's symbolically, the bread should be fine and healthy. Symbolically, we cast away our sins. But there's a beautiful text here that I'm going to share with you. Text number five. Let's do this together. This is from the Ramah, Rabbi Moshe Israelis, one of the authors of the Code of Jewish Law. And Dr. Maxi, please read this one, text number five, if you will. Such a beautiful explanation of what the custom of Tashlich is all about. On Rosh Hashanah, the Day of Judgment, we visit a body of water. This feature of nature evokes an awareness of how God is the creator of the world and that he is the king of the earth. We talk about casting all our sins into the depths of the sea. Truly, when a person contemplates the depths of the sea, and recognizes how God constantly renews creation, this increases the recognition of God's existence and causes a person to regret all his sins. Our sins are thus forgiven, and they are cast into the depths of the sea. So thank you. So I I just want to explain for a second or, or elaborate on what he's saying over here, and that is it's not like a magical thing. You go to the body of water, and you say a prayer, and boom, shakalaka, right? Oh, sins are, 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 um, are, are eliminated. Eh, not, not so easy, right? It's not so easy. It's a little bit more. He talks about a meditation and an awareness and some internal work that happens, right? He says, when a person contemplates, I'm just going to repeat what he says. When a person contemplates the depths of the sea, and recognizes how God is constantly renewing creation. So basically what happens is you go to the body of water and you're meant to meditate on nature. Meditate on how vast the sea is or how deep Piedmont Park Pond is, whatever. But meditate how vast the sea is and how great God is in, in, in renewing creation, etc. Then you're just thinking more about God and then regretting the things that we've done that are harming that relationship or that are... Um, you know, stand opposite that loving relationship. And with that internal process, we regret the sins. We say, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. And that is where the forgiveness happens. So here's my point. Again, it's the same point. We're still at the question stage of this class. And the question is, one second, this sounds very Yom Kippur-like. We're going and we're, you know, talking about sin and casting away sin and asking for forgiveness and repentance and absolution. Maybe that's not a Jewish word, but whatever. We, we ask to be atoned for our sins. So then, boom. I mean, isn't that kind of um, Yom Kippur theme? So essentially the question is, very simply, oh, Mark has an update. Bam, 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 bam. Lake at Piedmont Park was created from a spring. Oh, look at that. That flowed into the park near today's visitor center in 1887. In 1895, Lake was enlarged to its current size of 11 and a half acres and named Clara Mir. Beautiful. Look at that. So there was a natural spring. By the way, some of you may know this. We're on Ponce de Leon. We're actually on, near the corner of Ponce de Leon Avenue and Ponce de Leon Place because Atlanta likes to do that, right? With peach trees and other things. Anyway, street names, just, we're just going to use the, a bunch of them in the same place and we'll hope people find their way around. So Ponce de Leon got its name because there was a, you know this? I'm sure you guys know this, right? Because some guy, a hundred years ago, said, ah, there were springs. There was Ponce de Leon Springs. There was like a natural spring. And he said, this was the fountain of youth. You know, Ponce de Leon was looking for the fountain of youth? Yes? Yes? What did he discover, Ponce de Leon? What did he discover? Where? 
Florida? Yes, San Augustine, Florida. Oh, San Augustine. Oh, nice. It's beautiful. I was there in the Fountain of Youth. I had water. Well, then that explains it. Rosita, there you go. <laughs> so here's the deal. Here's the deal. So he, this guy, whoever he was, was just making money. He says, oh, spring Fountain of Youth. So they called it Pont. Ponce de Leon, or Ponce de Leon, as they call it here in Atlanta. And that's it. Boom. They had, people paid money to go into the, the springs. They had an amusement park. They built a ballpark. And now we have um, a Whole Foods and a Home Depot and a Staples by the ballpark. And we have a cool, you know, modern warehouse, live, work, play situation where the springs were. And where are the actual springs? I don't know. But drink the water, Chabad. Oh, ah, it's Kavaldic. Back to our story. Here's the thing. <laughs> that explains it. L'chaim. Ponce de Leon. Ponce de Leon. So, Rosita, you probably also cringe every time you hear somebody say Ponce de Leon, right? That's You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, Gavald. Who's Ponce de Leon? Anyway. So, so the question here is, if shofar is about tshuva, it's about a wake-up call to return. If the prayers talk about return, if the tashlich uh, cere uh, custom ceremony is all about meditating, contemplating about God and, and doing tshuva and, and returning to God, so then what's, uh, what's Yom Kippur about? I mean, isn't Rosh Hashanah the same as Yom Kippur? Aren't they sharing pretty much the same theme? And if they are, then why do we need Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? And if, if the theme of Rosh Hashanah is, is, is tshuva, is repentance, so then what's Yom Kippur? If Yom Kippur is that, then what's Rosh Hashanah? What distinguishes the two? So what we're going to do right now is jump into the explanation. And this is going, in my opinion, is going to be very powerful. I ask you to halt cup. Stay with me on this because we're about to explore this from a deep perspective, which is going to draw on Hasidic teachings and Kabbalistic teachings, but ultimately it's going to get into the psychology of what makes us tick and how we deal with ourselves, with God, and with other human beings. Okay. Um, but first, here's the difference between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And it lies in the prayer liturgy. There are certain prayers, as I just mentioned, that we say on both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but there's a certain genre of prayer that we absolutely do not say on Rosh Hashanah, and the trivia question is, or the question is, what prayers do we not say on Rosh Hashanah? What type of prayers do we not utter on Rosh Hashanah? It's not in the liturgy. You can look at the Machs or in the books. You won't find it. But you do Al say it. Al-Chait. Excellent. Excellent. What is the Al-Chait? The Al-Chait is the confessional prayers where we say we did this sin and we did that sin and you take your hand, you make it into a little bit of a fist and you gently tap your chest. I did this thing wrong and that thing wrong and the other thing wrong. So not I. We did this, we did that, we did the other. Always in the collective. But we confess our shortcomings. Let's call it that. We do not do that on Rosh Hashanah. Only on Yom Kippur. In fact, on Yom Kippur we do it ten times. Throughout the 25, 26 hours, we have 10 different times that we say the confessional prayers. The Shamnu, the Alchets, 10 times throughout the day. Twice in each of the five, there's five prayers 
on, on Yom Kippur. Typically, there's three daily prayers. Rosh Hashanah and holidays, there's four prayers because you had a Musaf. And on Yom Kippur, there's five prayers. In each of those prayers, the confessional prayers are recited twice. So for a total of ten times, the confessional prayers. You do not say them on Rosh Hashanah. In fact, you're not supposed to. You're not supposed to talk about sin on Rosh Hashanah. Take, take a look. We're not supposed to talk about the details of the sins on Rosh Hashanah. Take a look at text number six. I'm about to share it with you. I'm going to read this one. Okay, here we go. Text six from the author of the Kodah Jewish Law, Rabbi Yosef Cairo. He writes like this. There is a custom in some communities to recite in Avinu Malkenu the phrase, Our Father, Our King, we have sinned before you on Rosh Hashanah. In my opinion, he says, while we do recite the other stanzas of Avinu Malkenu Rosh Hashanah, we do not say the stanza, Chatanu Lefanecha, we have sinned before you. You do, don't say that on Rosh Hashanah. Similarly, and here's, here's, the, here's the rule that I wanted to highlight. Similarly, we do not recite any prayers that mention sin. Because the rule is that we do not recite confessional prayers on Rosh Hashanah. That's the line. We do not recite confessional prayers on Rosh Hashanah. You don't say, I did this wrong, I did that wrong, I did the other, other thing wrong. In fact, if you, were, if, you, if you held a prayer book, a machzor, in your hands at any point on Rosh Hashanah... Um, Today's Sunday. So any, at any point last week, if you held the prayer book in your hands and you paged through the Rosh Hashanah prayers, you, did not, you were not told at any point in time by the instructions to take your hand, make it into a fist, and tap your chest. Didn't happen. Did not happen. Sure, tshuva, repentance, come closer to God. That's talked about. But the individual sins, I did this wrong, I did that wrong, I did the other thing wrong, we don't mention. On Yom Kippur, we do. So understand the difference. We started off, the question is, what's the difference between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? We're now getting somewhere. By looking at the prayer structure, we're now, we've now noticed something. We've noticed a clue, right? Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? When I was a kid, that was a thing about finding clues. So yeah, we're finding clues. What's the difference between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Ah, we got a clue in the prayers. We don't recite the details of the sins, the confessional prayers on Rosh Hashanah, but we do do that on Yom Kippur. Okay? But what does that mean? What does that mean? Let's take it a step further. Not only do we recite on Yom Kippur, as opposed to Rosh Hashanah, not only do we recite the sins, I, we've acted this way, we've done that, we did this, a list, the alphabet. You, you know the confession of the Alchets? It's composed according to the alphabet, the, the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters from Aleph to Tav, and each letter has two different mentions of transgression. 22 times 2, I'll do the math for you. 44. 44 details. We did this wrong, we did that wrong, we did the other thing wrong. Talk about Jewish guilt. Gewalt, right? The other religions where they confess, they have nothing on us. You want confession? This is confession. Yeah? How many things do you have? I have 44 things to talk about. Yeah, you have all day. Literally, we have all day. Yom Kippur, that's what we're doing all day. Right? We're confessing the sins. 10 times. 44. Now, let's do the math again. 10 times 44. I'll do it for you again. 440. 400. And that's only the Alchets. That's not the Ashamnu Baganu Gazalnus, which is also, according to the Alphet, it's another 26. 26 times, sorry, 22. 22 times 10 is 220. 220 plus 440 660, 660 confessions on the in the, those 26 hours. You see why we're uh, abyssal neurotic? That's, that's the way it is. All right, so this is what's going on. 
660 confessions on Yom Kippur. Not one on Rosh Hashanah, but yes on Yom Kippur. Oh, um, Adina Malka is asking a question. Why do we confess as a community, but we're judged individually? Good. We're telling God, don't judge us individually, judge us collectively. That's exactly the point. Your question is great, and your question is the answer. We tell God, we're in this together, right? Ashamnu, bagadnu, it's like a class. The teacher notices the airplane, right? Oh, someone threw, who did it? Who threw the airplane? And the class says, you can punish us all together. We have thrown an airplane in your class. Ashamnu, bagadnu, gazalnu. We have thrown a paper airplane. There we go. That, that's the confession. Done. So that's, that's it. So that's exactly what we're doing. We're, we're, we're in this together. We're stronger together. So what we notice here is that Rosh Hashanah, there's no mention of sin. And Yom Kippur, oh, 660 times. Specific sins. In addition to this, comes the eve of Yom Kippur, which is going to be this year Wednesday night. Everyone gathers in synagogue for the opening service, which is called... What's the opening service called? Kol Nidre. Kol Nidre. Right? Kol Nidre. Oh, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. Everyone's wearing white, the kittel, the... Kol Nidre. But before we start Kol, before we start Kol Nidre, you know what happens? There's an announcement made. A proclamation made. And what's the proclamation? You will not believe it. You will not believe this proclamation... I sound like a BuzzFeed teaser headline. Take a look at this 7A. Take a look at text 7A. This will blow your mind. It says, with the sanction of the omnipresent. With the sanction of the omnipresent. And with the sanction of the congregation. By the authority of the heavenly tribunal. And by the authority of the earthly tribunal. Wow, so powerful already. We hereby grant permission to pray with those who have transgressed. Talk about mentioning sin and sinners. This is the declaration that's made before the opening pitch. It's like, by the way, we've consulted above, we've consulted below, we've asked God for permission, and we've asked each other for permission, and we've decided we're going to pray with those who have transgressed. Who are we talking about? There's a thing in Jewish law that's rarely done today, but it was done back in the day, called cherem, which is excommunication. This is somebody who did something really, really bad. And the only recourse that a community has, because you can't force someone to do something, is to say, basically, listen, until you fix this, until you either change something or do something, whatever it is, until you repair the issue, the situation, you're no longer part of the community. You can live here, but we don't consider you part of the community. And one of the ramifications of that is they do not count, they do not count for the minion. So imagine, there's nine people in, in the synagogue and this person, and they are what we would call today in modern texting terminology, they're ghosted, right? It's like, oh, you're here? Yeah, about that. You're not considered part of the minion. You don't count for the minion because you're excommunicated. That is... One of the, one of the, uh, the, the implications of cherem also, uh, the community is not supposed to do business with this person. They're really uh, ostracized and shunned until they fix the problem. Again, reserved for very serious crimes, 
like very serious crimes. What, 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 you know, how do you force someone to do something? You can't, but you can say, we don't have anything to do with you until you fix that. Okay. But on, on Yom Kippur, we say that we get permission for that person to pray together. That's the declaration. Are you with me on this? Did I explain that uh, okay, sufficiently? On Yom Kippur, before we get started, we say even the person that's typically excommunicated, not typically, that was excommunicated on this night, on this day, they're welcome. After Yom Kippur, though, right, unless they fix it, they're still out. But on Yom Kippur, they have permission to pray. So that's what's going on. And this, again, is explained in the commentaries. The Mordechai says, um, the Mordechai was a great uh, halachic uh, authority. Text 7b, I'm going to read it inside. We enter the synagogue and annul the ban forbidding prayer with individuals who have broken communal decrees, even if they have not requested such. In other words, even if the person is unrepentant, didn't, do, didn't fix it, etc., we still annul the ban on Yom Kippur. For Rabbi Shimon, Hasidah said, any fast that does not include the sinners among Israel is not considered a fast. Fast has to include everybody. Everyone has, literally everybody has to be together. Okay, beautiful. Wow, but what a beautiful theme. Everyone's welcome. Even those that are typically not welcome, fantastic. Good. We can bring about that all night. But here's my point. On Rosh Hashanah, although there's tshuva involved, yeah, sure, it's tshuva, it's repentance, but we don't get into the nitty-gritty of the sin. We don't, we don't do a shamnu, baganu, gazanu, achetes, achetes. We don't say the confessional prayers. But on Yom Kippur, we do. And on Yom Kippur, not only do we say 660 confessions, not only that, yeah, we also welcome the, the so-called sinners. I didn't call them that, but the liturgy calls them that, and we welcome them in. So clearly... There's a focus on sin on Yom Kippur that's not on Rosh Hashanah. So what does that mean? And I want to share with you the most brilliant, um, instead of doing this inside and then me trying to explain it, you know, once you have locked into the original language, let me just speak person to person and give you an example. Two different scenarios. You ready? Yeah, you with me on this? Let's just speak to each other. Here we go. The difference between, I'm, gonna, I'm about to present the difference between new relationships and not new relationships. In other words, the difference between a relationship in its infancy versus a relationship when it's uh, long-standing. Okay, you ready? Our, when you first fall in love, and when you've been in love for a while, that's what I'm talking about. So what's the difference? All right. You ready? Here we go. When you first fall in love, yeah, the other person can do no wrong. In fact, not only can they do no wrong, but they're perfect. How do I know this? Because you don't see any flaws, right? Sure, your friends might, but when they tell it to you, you're like, ha, 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 that's cute. Like, what do you mean? That's a flaw. It's a feature, right? It's a feature. It's cute, right? Oh, I'm trying to think of like what could be a feature slash flaw, flaw slash feature. I don't know, whatever it is. It's like everything is looked at as, you know, it's cute, it's, it's unique, it's interesting. No problem here. What happens uh, typically, again, you know, present company excluded, obviously. But what happens in, in some relationships, many relationships, when the relationship goes on for a little bit, uh, ah, you didn't put the toothbrush back in the little thing. Right? Not everything, by the way, has a little thing.
But toothbrushes, for some reason, have a little, they have a little stand, a little throne. Ah, toothbrush has a little place. It's like, ah, upright. It's beautiful. Anyway, he doesn't put the toothbrush away. Can't believe it. He doesn't put the toothbrush away. So you speak to your friends. He doesn't put his toothbrush away. What am I supposed to do with this guy? For 30 years, he's not putting away his toothbrush. Every morning, I put away the toothbrush. Doesn't get it. I can't believe it. I just, again, present, I put away my toothbrush. So don't, don't think I'm like, this is not me. I'm just saying like this. We're, we're in a safe space anyway, so maybe it is me. Who knows? The point is, there is a, there is a form of relationship or, or setting in a relationship where there are, let's, let's call them flaws. Let's just call them flaws. But you don't see it. You don't see the flaw. Why don't you see the flaw? Because you fell in love. And the definition of falling in love is you don't see flaws. Or else you wouldn't call it falling in love. You would say something else. You would say, I've noticed some nice things about that person. You wouldn't call it falling in love. Right? You'd say, I've noticed some very fine character traits. I've noticed some other things also, but I've noticed some good things. But when you say falling in love, it means something else. Falling in love means I don't see anything wrong. Everything's perfect. Everything's amazing. We've never had a disagreement. It's unbelievable. I know other people, other couples, they have disagreements about things. We've never had a disagreement. I've known them for 24 hours. We've never had a disagreement. Listen, halavai, it should stay like this. Halavai, it should. Halavai means if only. But it usually doesn't. But it's the way it is. Are you guys with me so far? Yes. So there's one, one type of relationship where there's no flaws. You don't see any flaws. It's all perfect. And then... There's another stage in the relationship where you do notice the flaws and you see the flaws and you're like, I, uh, can't he just do this or can't she just do that? And now the question is, when you notice the flaws, can you still make it work? Can you still make it work? When you didn't notice the flaws, it was easy to make it work. Why? Because there were no flaws. Well. You didn't see any flaws. So it's easy to make it work when you don't see any flaws. But the question is, when you see the flaws, can you make it work? Can you somehow overcome the noticing of the flaws? It sounds like a, a festival in Utah. Some, the noticing of the can you can you talk, Can you withstand? The noticing of the flaws and still work through it and still be in that relationship. That's the question. When you didn't see it, it was easy for it to work. You know when that New relationship, you know, with the, the with new car, there's like a new car smell. When that new relationship smell wears off, <laughs> right? I just took my car to a car wash today. So they're like, um, <laughs> now everything, it's just so interesting the way things change. It's actually more efficient. Like, no one wants to, no one wants to get too involved in anyone's stuff. Now should you tell them, they, you pull in. I, I know I'm not being clear here, but there's a lot less interaction. And like, it's like everything's up. Uh, so they ask you up front. There's no more conversations later on. Nope. If you didn't say it up front, you're done. Here's your car. Out. So you, up front they ask you, what type of air freshener spray do you want in your car? Yeah. Do you want the cherry, the lemon, the whatever, or the new, the, the new car smell? I'm like, what do you recommend? This is literally a conversation. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Like, what do you recommend? They're like, 
New car smell. I'm like, done, new car smell. <laughs> Fantastic. Because it's perfect for tonight's class. That new car smell, you don't notice any flaws. It's the new car, it's the new relationship, it's beautiful. I'm not talking about cars, by the way. Relationships, it's beautiful, it's wonderful, there's no problem. Car is a metaphor, right? All right. So, but, but what happens when the new car smell wears off? And you start noticing the dings and the dents. Again, not talking about cars. Right? Can you still make it work? So we're told to love our fellow as ourselves. So what does that mean? If you have to love your fellow as yourself. Okay? There's two ways. Number one, I love you. I see you as a soul, as a divine human being. I love you. I ignore your faults, and I see this soul, your essence, and I love you. Okay, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. We'll slow golf clap for that. Or just slow clap. The question, though, is, thank you, Richard. The question, though, is, what happens when you do see their flaws? Can you still love them? I, it's easier to ignore the flaws, to ignore the faults, and to love. But what happens when you know, when you see the flaws? What happens when you see the imperfections? Can you still love? And now about us. Now about us. Life has its way of giving us a run for our money. That's the way it is. You can't walk through life without experiencing some measure, some sort of hurt, pain, trauma. And so here's the question. How do we deal with the trauma? There's two ways. Either we block out the trauma and we ignore the trauma and we take that and try to compartmentalize and put it away in a room, in a cupboard, in a closet, under the rug, and lock it and close it up and push it away so that we can just live life without dealing with that hurt, without dealing with that pain. That's one way. One of my teachers, Rabbi Simon Jacobson, used to refer to that as spiritual hypothermia. You know what happens with hypothermia? Hypothermia is when the body gets very cold. It's very, dang very dangerously cold. So what happens? What does the body do? The body slows down its activity. And you know why? Because it wants to protect the brain. And so it's not going to pump the heart. The blood is not going to pump it. It's not going to expend its energy and, 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 and dissipate its heat. It's trying to conserve it for what's most important. So how people deal with trauma in a similar way. It's like, I need to get through this, so I'm going to put away all the other stuff that's not that, all the, the trauma, the hurt. Try to get rid of it, push it away, not dealing with it now. I need to just try to stay focused on what I need to do. That's level one. Level two is, so I could be okay pushing away the trauma. 
But here's the question. Can I still be okay? Can I also be okay when confronting the trauma? Can I love them when I see their faults? Can I respect them when I see their imperfections? Can I love myself when I recognize that I have not had only smooth sailing in my life? Can I love God noticing the hurt in my life? Can God love me noticing my imperfections? This is the difference between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. On Rosh Hashanah, we don't mention any flaws, any blemishes, any nothing. Rosh Hashanah is perfect. We gloss over all the imperfections. Nothing. We don't mention that. No mention. No imperfections. We have this general amorphous, this general thing of Shuvah of repentance where we're getting back into rhythm with God. It's kind of like that new car smell. It's that new relationship. It's renewing the relationship. It's saying, let's, you know what? There's been a lot of, there's been some stuff. We're not going to think about it. We're not going to focus on it. Let's push all that stuff aside. It's Rosh Hashanah. Let's clean the slate and let's just get back to the way things used to be. That's Rosh Hashanah. And that works. That works. But Yom Kippur is much deeper. Yom Kippur says, you know what? We can still make this relationship work when we have our eyes wide open and we see the flaws and we notice the problems. We can still make it work. Yom Kippur, we deal with this stuff. Yom Kippur, we look at the imperfections and we say, we're still going to make it work. I still love you, and you still love me, despite being very clear-eyed about the challenges in this relationship. Rabbi Levi Yitzhak Abarditchev, one of the great Hasidic masters, once gave a parable about the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. And he gave an example like this. So once upon a time there was a king who was on his own traveling he told his guards, his officers, give me my own space. I want to walk into the forest. And he walked into the forest and he got lost. And the king now is like, man, I probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah, you ever have that feeling? You were very confident about something and now he's lost. The king is roaming and suddenly there's a man. And this man helps the king with dedication and devotion and helps the king back onto the road, back to the palace. The king is so grateful because the king was panicking. The king is so grateful that he in fact employs this man who helped him as one of his officers or advisors or whatever. It is. Years later, this man did something very bad. He did something that went against the king. A treasonous act. And the king said that this is liable for the death penalty. That's it. It came the day of the execution. And the king said to this man, any final wishes? And the man says, yes. My wish is that you wear the clothing you wore on that day in the forest all those years ago. And I will wear the clothing that I wore in the forest years ago. And when the king wore those clothes, I guess his hiking gear, and when the man wore his clothes that he wore then on that day in the forest, the king remembered 
how he was lost and how this man saved him and, and rescued him, etc. And he was overwhelmed with compassion. He said, okay, you can live. And Rabbi Levi Zubaditchev says, that's what we sound the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Why Rosh Hashanah? Because we remember. Sorry. If God were to be perhaps not so happy with us based on anything that we've done or haven't done over the last year, we say to God, don't you remember? At Sinai, you were looking. Who, who would have the Torah? This nation, that nation. No one wanted the Torah. Right? Because at Sinai there were trumpets. But we said yes. We said yes to your Torah. And we said yes to you. And we pledged our love to you. And so we use the same shofar that we sounded at Sinai. We sound the same shofar to remind God of what he was wearing, of what we were wearing, of what we were sounding, of the ambiance that happened at Sinai to remind God of that new spraying the new car smell. That's how Rabbi Levi Yitzhak explains Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is a day in which we turn to God and we say to God, forget all the other stuff. Don't you remember what it was like when we were first in love? Don't you remember when we were so in love with each other that we didn't see any faults? Don't see any faults in us. We love you. You should love us. And it's all good. That's Rosh Hashanah. And that's beautiful and it's powerful. But 10 days later, we have Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur is not the same as Rosh Hashanah. No, no, no. Repentance, sure. But it's very different. On Yom Kippur, we jump, we dive into the details. Ashamnu, Bagadnu, Gazalnu, We get into the details. Achet this, achet that. We say achet. 660 times we bang our chest over the 24 or 26 hours. And the message of Yom Kippur is that even when we see the flaws, we can still make this work. To make it work, we don't have to get rid of everything, ignore stuff, put on blinders, sweep things under the rug, pretend it didn't happen. No. We can be honest and we can be clear-eyed and we can recognize our faults and we can recognize the challenges and we can see the trauma and we can still love and be loved. Yom Kippur is a day of the greatest acceptance. An acceptance that God has for us, warts and all, flaws and all, not only loving us because He's overlooking the negative, but loving us even though we declare in front of Him 660 times, this is what I've done, I'm not perfect. Do you still love me? And that's the power of Yom Kippur because God says, yes, I still love you. And then we turn to God and we think in our own minds, this year has been challenging. We've experienced loss. We've experienced challenges with health and maybe financial challenges and maybe other challenges. And we turn to God and we say, we're not ignoring that and saying, I love you with eyes closed. We're looking at the whole picture and we're saying, Fundeswegen, which is, Yiddish, which is Yiddish for nonetheless, I still love you. I still love you even though it hasn't been perfect. And then we look at each other and we say, I don't only love you when I ignore you. Sorry, when I ignore your faults. I love you even when I see your faults. And then we look to ourselves and we tell ourselves that we can love ourselves even though we know 
that we've been hurt. And even though we know that we have our challenges and there's a lot of stuff to fix and we declare what we need to fix, but we still love ourselves and we can still manage to be loved. This is the power of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. It's not just repentance. It's not just another day of Rosh Hashanah. It's not just a general season of introspection. Sure, that worked last year. But this year we have to know what it's really about. Rosh Hashanah is a day that we connect by ignoring the details. And on Yom Kippur, we make it work even when we see the details in stark relief. My blessing to us all, for each and every one of us here, is that this Yom Kippur should be a profound experience for us all. We should have a meaningful Yom Kippur. And what that means, to me at least, is that we should connect with the energy of the day. It shouldn't just be another day or another Yom Kippur. It should really be a meaningful day. A day in which we take ourselves seriously, we take God seriously, we take each other seriously. And we show up. We show up 100%. And we say to ourselves, to each other, to God, this is, where we're, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. These are my imperfections. And I'm working on them. And God, I trust, we trust that you love us even when you look at us, who we are in totality. Knowing that God loves us unconditionally, not by ignoring the faults, but even when seeing the faults, is the greatest form of, of self-love that we can have. It's the greatest form of acceptance. When I say greatest form of, what I mean is it's the most powerful message, which is so soothing on many different levels. So may this year be a year of true connection, which we connect with God and this theme, and may be transformative. And may we be able to open our hearts to others. If we want to make it person to person, we should be able to get along with each other even when we see the flaws. It takes more work, but that's what Yom Kippur is all about. May we be sealed, signed, sealed, delivered for a good year, a year of blessing, year of health, parnasa, which is uh, abundant livelihood, and a year in which all of the, a year of nachas, a year of peace of mind, peace of heart, spiritual growth, etc., a year of Torah study, a year in which all of our heart's desire should be fulfilled for the good. And let us say, Amen. Thank you for joining me tonight for High Holiday Boot Camp number two, Torah Studies, Yom Kippur edition. And I look forward to seeing you one week from tonight, same bad time, same bad channel, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I have to mention that. You see, Fran, you, gotta, you, you keep me honest with the Eastern Standard Times because, you know, different time zones. So Eastern Standard Time, 7.30 p.m. Next Sunday, we have a class on Sukkot. The class is entitled, hold on, I'm cheating. One second. Hold on. I hope you still love me, even though I need to look into the book here for this. It's called Bequeathing the Heritage. Bequeathing the Heritage. A primer for acting, feeling, and identifying as Jewish. And if you want to know more about that, well, join us next week. Um, okay. A quick announcement. Scheduling announcement. Uh, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, of course, starts Wednesday night. Um, it's a mitzvah. I'm just going to mention a few quick things. It's a mitzvah to eat on the eve of Yom Kippur and to eat a lot. It says if you eat on, on the eve of Yom Kippur, it's like you fasted on, it's, Judaism is so interesting. It's like if you eat on Erev Yom Kippur, it's like you fasted two days. Why? I don't know. The math. 
Who knows? Plus one, minus one equals two. Yeah, it's the new math. It's the Jewish math. That's how it works. So that's that. Um, and uh, what else? For those that are looking for a pre-Yom Kippur meal, we got one at Chabad in town. Just let us know. I think, what is it, by tomorrow? By Monday, because we've got to get the food ready. Um, there's a lot of customs. Check your local listings for details, Chabad.org, or other good sources for references of what you need to know before the day. Again, I talked about the five restrictions of the day. We'll have services here at Chabad in town. Um, Wednesday night, Thursday, I will be personally leading a service Thursday morning, 90-minute service, a power service called the Learner Service from 10 to 11.30. It's going to be outside under our canopies, and um, I hope you'll join. If you can make it, I hope you'll join. Um, yeah, I also sent out an email this morning with a bunch of new learning opportunities. Check those out. No better way to start the new year than by committing to a to a set time, set times of Torah study. So, Rabbi, what time is the meal? And Wednesday? Six. six or six thirty? Six. Okay. Um, Sandrine is telling me six, and I trust Sandrine. It's the website. Sandrine's trusting the website. You see this? We we're 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 very trusting. We're very trusting people. So, according to the website, six p.m. at Chabad Town. Good. Where at Chabana Town? Undisclosed location. I'm kidding. I'm not sure. One of the one of the spaces. So, but if you want, if you want in, make sure please to RSVP. Um, okay, there's so much more to talk about, but I feel like I feel like we're talked. We're we're good. We're Aiska talked. I don't know what that is in Yiddish for not talked out, but Mashain. Uh, anyway, we're, we're, we're good. Um, any comments, questions? Can, can you carry on Yom Kippur? Oh, good. Sandrine's asking a good question. What are the restrictions as far as, is it like a holiday or like a Shabbat? Because the differences are regarding cooking, I mean, if you had to cook for kids, for example, or regarding carrying. So on Yom Tif, you can carry outside in public domain, but on Shabbat, we're not supposed to unless there's an heir, etc. So Yom Kippur is called Shabbat Shabbaton which means it's, uh, it's, it's Sabbath-level restrictions, which would mean no cooking and no caring. Those two things that are waived on holidays are not waived on, um, on Yom Kippur. Speaking of waving, don't forget to order your Lula Vanessa for the waving. Uh, so that's, um, that's a little bit about Yom Kippur. Any other questions, comments on the class or on the holiday? Oh, let me check. Let me check, let me check, let me check. Okay, hold on one second. Let me check the chat. Um, Karen asked, what's the gematria of 660? That's a really good question. I don't know 660, but I know 666. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's not a Jewish thing. Um, 660, I don't know. I, honestly, I can't hear 660 without thinking of New York radio. 660, the fan. That was the sports radio station in New York City. Mike and the Mad Dog, anyone? Anyone know this stuff? Donna, thank you. Yes, friend, you're with me? Good. That's it. Anyway, they're not together anymore. Mike and the Mad Dog, they split up because they saw each other's faults and they couldn't get over it. They couldn't get past it. They needed tonight's class. You're able to see each other's faults and still make it work. That's the whole point. I hope the point resonated with, with everybody here because it, it certainly resonated with me. Okay, question. Hold on, let me just take a quick look. Oh, so, uh, sorry, Karen. Sorry, in all seriousness, the Gemachia of 660, I'm not sure. There's probably something, but I'm not, 
if I saw it or knew it, I could tell you, but I'm not, uh, I, I don't know. Um, Rabbi? Yes. Yeah. Hey, Donna. You had a lot of sports analogies this yes. morning and tonight. Yes. So you had a double header in Torah Oh, study. look at that. <laughs> yes. And I even ended in time. You can still catch Sunday Night Football. You see that? It's still, it's like, this is, this is it. You can catch. Uh, good. All right, any other questions, comments about Yom Kippur, about any upcoming stuff going on? Feel free to jump in. Mark. Morning. Yeah. Are we on Oh, oh, okay. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay. So tomorrow, the question is about tomorrow, in-person um, DPP, known as Pichi Parsha. So I have, I need to be at an appointment, and I don't know that it's going to end on time. So... With regrets, I don't think we're going to be able to do it. In I can't guarantee that I'll be there. So, okay. But still online. On, for sure online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, if I'm in a car or something, no problem. Yeah. I, I, one time I got pulled over by the highway patrol, and they saw I was doing DPP. They're like, oh, my gosh, I'm such a big fan. No problem. Keep on going. That's, <laughs> no. No, of course not. No, but one time I was driving down Briarcliff. I was going 50. A guy pulls me over. He says, you're going 53. I'm like, yeah, that's the, the sign. He says, no, it says 35. I'm like, I read right to left. <laughs> nah, these are not real stories. All right. <laughs> I'm here all week. Um, good. Good, good, good. Pleasure. It's great to see everybody. It's really beautiful to see everybody. And uh, looking forward to seeing you guys soon. Laila Tov and Gemar Khatima Tova. It should be lots of blessings. All right. We'll see you guys Amen. soon. Take Thank care, everybody. You. Thank you very much. Pleasure, pleasure. Pleasure, pleasure.